Hey there, magical humans. Welcome back or welcome to the Find Your Awesome podcast. My name is Kelsey Abbott. I am your host. I'm an intuitive human design reader, a certified professional coach, and I'm an instigator of joy. And before we get into this week's episode, I want to talk to you about, well, it's something, it seems related to messaging, which is what this week's guest is all about. So let's get into it. About six years ago, when I first started my coaching business, I knew that I wanted to help people find their awesome, to remember their awesome, because I believe that our awesome is something that is bright and shiny and totally unique to us and lives within each one of us. And I believe that as we go through life, it gets muddled, it gets covered with all these shoulds, with all these rules, with all these concepts of how we're supposed to do things. And so I help people clear that stuff away, clear out those layers so they can see and own and share their awesome. How did I put that into a title though? I was stumped. Everyone else in my coaching cohort was coming up with all these fancy schmancy names of what to call themselves. And so I threw out the word, the name confidence coach and it stuck. But here's the thing. It didn't really stuck for, stick for me. It never really resonated with my soul. But people kept calling me a confidence coach, so I kept re- responding to the term confidence coach. The truth is, I help people remember who they are. I'm a remembering coach. I'm an elevation coach. Whatever it is, I no longer feel like I need a, a specific title. I am so clear on what I do and how I feel when I'm doing it. And that's what I'm going with these days. I'm a certified professional coach, an intuitive human design reader, an instigator of joy. I help people remember who they are and why they're here so they can be sparkly AF. All right. Now let me get out of the way and introduce you to this week's guest. His name is Zach Messler, and he spent two decades in product marketing for technology teaching non-technical sales pros to explain complex software to executive buyers. This is where he developed a simple methodology to make any message clear, compelling, and convincing. Today, he helps entrepreneurs know what to say and how to say it so they can make a bigger impact on the world and their wallets. And you guys, I realize I'm not quite out of the way of this episode because I want to remind you that my friend Tina Olson and I are hosting the Find Your Flow Retreat in Sarasota on Siesta Key, to be more specific, January 10th through 13th. And we would love to have you there to flow with us, to experience some groundbreaking transformation, to feel expansive, to connect with nature and dig your your toes into the sand, to feel the water against your skin, to connect with your body, to connect with your soul, to connect with other lightworkers, to feel the exhale of being who you really, truly are. You can get all the details on my website. Go to kelseyabbott.com slash findyourflow. And now, did I give the dates? January 10th through 13th, 2020. All right, now, here we go. On to this week's episode. Go forth and be awesome. All right, Zach, the messaging guy. How did you come to be the messaging guy? Which sounds like a superhero, by the way. Dun, da, da. <laughs> I like that. 
<laughs> so I, I could I I could tell you the the long sorted boring story, but instead I I won't. So I was in the corporate world for about twenty years, and I was a product marketing guy for B two B tech. And so what that means is I was a translator. So I'm not technical even remotely, and I needed to be able to translate. I needed to be able to to teach salespeople how to talk about really complex stuff, deeply technical products to an executive buying audience. So an audience that didn't care about the whiz bang features that salespeople in that realm always want to talk about. And so it really goes back probably when I first got into product marketing, probably about 15 years ago, I came up with this way to do this uh, where I, and it did for me, again, because I'm not technical, where I'm answering three questions. What is this thing? What does it do? And why does it matter? Why does it matter to my, to my audience? And I would write this up, figured out a whole bunch of other things along the way. But in the end, I'd have this guide where I, you know, I broke down the product into all the features, everything, answering these questions. I broke down the audience, answering questions about the audience, mapped the two, and I produced this guide. Probably about five years ago, I called it a sales pack. Probably about five years ago, um, I used to print it out. I'd have it. It was my Bible. I'd mark it up and everything. About five years ago, there was a sales guy who was at the printer. I was printing it out. And I get there and he's reading my sales pack that I printed out. And he says, oh my God, can I have this? And I said, yes. And that kind of just opened doors. And all of a sudden I went from just product marketing manager three or whatever I was to product marketing guy. And I became the best friend to my sales teams and started teaching them this stuff and working with them what to say and how to say it. When you're dealing with something that's ambiguous or complex or otherwise difficult to explain, sometimes it's hard to know what the right thing to say is and how to say it. And I taught them how to do that. And so over time, continuing this process, working with these people, I became the messaging guy. And then this is a whole other layer to the story, but especially tying in into thinking about finding your awesome, you know, be, being awesome and, and being epic. You know, you wear that shirt, do epic shit. <laughs> yep. I, I started to, to break out of comfort zones at work because I was, being, I was in a fairly toxic situation the last place where I worked in corporate and constantly being told what I needed to do to the point where you need were words in my house that were not allowed anymore. I'd be, here you need, and it would be, you know, like, oh. And so I was ready to quit this place. And I decided, well, if I do what I know is right, and I stop being afraid of being fired or yelled at or whatever else is gonna happen that really isn't that bad, well, What's the worst thing that happens? Worst thing that happens is I get fired and I'm ready to quit anyway. So I just started doing what I knew was right, which was in many cases taking massive, massive risks, calculated, but massive risks, especially at a fairly conservative company. And things blew up in a good way and became the sales. Like I was the, in a marketing team of 50 people, 
I was the only one that sales came to that I worked with sales that was really driving revenue and helping drive revenue. And I, you know, I kind of got pushed out. I mean, I got someone a little uncomfortable and, and at that point I was ready to jump anyway. So I jumped. I didn't wait for them to fire me. And I said, you know what? Thanks for the memories. I'm out. And I started doing my own thing. Became the messaging guy for, for pro, as a pro. There you go. So we just, before we hit record, we were talking very briefly about your human design. And I just heard it reflected hugely in that story. As a projector, you see everything from a bird's eye view. You see the big picture. You can see it so clearly. So of course you had created this like perfect system for, for sales, for messaging. Of course, it's so clear to you. And then, and then I feel like that 5-1 profile has a bit of, when, when you care about something, has a bit of a, I give zero fucks about that other side, about what other people think of me. And it just sounds like you just stepped right into all of that and just were totally rocking and thriving and flowing in your design. Uh, totally. You know, it's really funny too, because, and you're talking about this, it's, this is lighting me up because before I, I, I always had kind of, it wasn't a different me, but it was a more subdued me. Work was very buttoned up and that's not me at all anymore. And it's funny because it took that feeling like I was being pounded down to get to a point where this isn't worth it anymore. And I don't, I don't care. I'm going to be me and I'm going to do what I know is right. I mean, I remember the date because I, I started writing on LinkedIn probably about three or four years ago, LinkedIn big in corporate and everything. And I remember I was, I was up, I was so stressed about work and so stressed, like uh, just miserable. And I always keep, here it is. I mean, I keep a, I keep a moleskin by my by my tiny uh, bedside. Yeah, it's small. Yeah, it's small. But I keep it by my bed and I, I write. When I write, sometimes I write on the computer. When I, when I really write, I literally write. I don't type, I write. And um, I woke up uh, or I, didn't, I couldn't sleep. It's like two in the morning. I went downstairs. I wrote this thing and I was going to publish it. And I said, I'll wait till the morning. No, I'm going to publish it now. And so I typed it into LinkedIn and I published it. It's called The Key to the Universe. It was July 15th, July 21st, July, I forgot the date. It was 2015. Um, I, um, I wrote it out and the key to the universe is two things. And really, I just started living these two things. And those two things are do the right thing. So if you are good in what you do and you have a sense of ethics uh, you know what the right thing to do is, or at least you have a good idea in that situation, so just do it. And then number two is don't be afraid of anything or anyone. And if you do the right thing, if you do what you believe is the right thing, and having that, those ethics is kind of important, <laughs> do what you, you think is the right thing, and then you're not afraid of the repercussions, good or bad. That's the key to the universe. And I just started living that way. And so it was one of these things where it made, it made decisions super easy. So for example, and even from a marketing perspective, the, the last big talk that I did at that company, I'd speak at sales kickoffs 
for the company all the time. And the last one I did was easily the best talk I've ever did, I've ever done. It was, I had 30 minutes to speak. I had a 20 minute attention step because I just wanted, I wanted to deliver one message, which was counter to everything that the salespeople, marketing people were being taught. The, the company was big on storytelling. Uh, storytelling is the big rage everywhere now, but, but this, it was the, the CEO was the founder and he would get things in his head and then everybody would fall in line and do that. And his big thing that year was telling stories. We have to tell stories, except the problem is the way that he told stories because it's his baby, this product, this company, his company and this product were always the hero of his stories. And because everyone else fell in line and was too afraid, they'd tell stories the same way. And so it's all chest beady nonsense. Nobody gives a shit about you. And this applies to anyone listening. All of this stuff, you might think, oh, he's, this is like corporate suit guy. This is foundational stuff. It applies to everything. Everyone these days is a consumer, and we can go down that rat hole too if you want. Yeah. Everyone is a consumer, no matter no matter if you're they're buying a ten dollar ebook or a multi million dollar software license. It doesn't matter; they're a consumer. So, my message for that talk was: you're telling stories wrong. Your ideal customer is the hero of the story, not your product. But how do you do a 30-minute presentation when really all you want to do is say, hey, you're telling stories wrong? So I, I started in to pull people in talking about, I, I found this thing called predictive coding, which was totally a ruse just to get people thinking that I'm talking about brain science. But predictive coding is this idea. It was a, a research paper uh, done by scientists at Northwestern. And it's the idea that the combination of your memory and your senses can predict a smell before you smell it. That's predictive coding. You can predict a smell before you smell it. And so that's so, like seeing a picture of fall and I feel like I can smell the leaves. Yes, yes, okay. yes. Or for example, in the example that I used in the talk was I brought roses in. Like I, 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 came and busted in late. They're like saying, where the hell is this guy? And I busted in the side door and I was like, holy crap. It was at the Gaylord in DC, like this massive facility. I busted it. It's like, holy crap. Can you believe how big this place is? You know how hard it is to find roses? You know, they smell really great, but you already know that. And we're going to talk about that a little. But it's why when you get roses, they either smell unbelievable or like nothing. They're crap. There's nothing in between. It's why when you're bringing the milk out of the fridge and you're not sure if it's good anymore, you already make that face before you even, you're like, and if you see a picture of a skunk, oh God, ugh. So I started with that and then I got into what makes a song stick. And this is the part, this is, this is the part of that talk that just blew everybody away. There are four chord progressions. So I, I played piano when I was a kid. I was the band geek. I, was, I played mallet percussion. I played xylophone in the marching band. So um, there are four chord progressions, uh, or there is a chord progression, four chords that make up thousands and thousands and thousands of popular songs. And so what I did was I found one song in particular 
uh, it's, um, I want to say zombies. It's not zombies. It's, um, it's Imagine Dragons, Demons by Imagine Dragons. That song is the same four chords from beginning to end through all of the chorus, the refrain, everything. It's the same. So I found the karaoke of that and I played that. And I sang parts of a bunch of different songs on stage to prove a point. And everybody at that point, I had people singing along. And at the, by the end, everybody's just paying attention to me. And then I, I got into, well, what makes a story stick? Well, let's talk about the hero journey. Let's talk about what makes a great story. You already know what makes a good, great story because just like these other things, there's a formula to it. And here's what it is. Ba, 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 ba. We are telling stories wrong at this company. And here's how we're going to change it. And man, it was, it was awesome. Like the CEO of the company is sitting there like watching, like, oh, this is, which was, it was great. And I never would have done that before. Never in a million years. Because it was, it was the right thing to do. And I didn't really give a crap if I messed it up or not. One of the things you said really stuck with me. You said, like, how do you t- t- give like a 30-minute talk when really your message is one sentence long. And I feel like that is my, <laughs> my situation so many times. I have a tendency to, I'm not really into the details. And I'm originally from Massachusetts. I am a mass hole. I just tell it like it is. <laughs> and I'm always looking for like, can I give a lead in? And I find that sometimes I feel like so boring and it makes me impatient. What's your guidance on that so just you can adjust your attention step so you should always in any type of talk it's always good to have an attention step and it's a step that a lot of people don't take because they're uncomfortable with it but you're given a talk you want all eyes on you you want that attention so that attention step can be real short or it can be drawn out but you know think about well, let me think of a couple different, here's an attention step I did where I did a talk about the buyer journey and I called it, the, the talk was how to get into the mind of your prospect or something like that, getting to the mind of your prospect. And so what I did for that, the attention step, I, I guess it was kind of a theme, but I started outside the room. I had the mic turned on and I waited for the person introducing me. You know, I was listening into the door but I waited for the person introducing me to start to get agitated that I wasn't there. Zach, Zach, where is this? Anybody seen Zach, Zach? And then at that point I said, hi, it's Zach. You can stop looking around for me. I'm in your brain. And, and it was at the end of the day. And so I was flipping it, right? So I'm taking on the perspective of my audience. It was at the end of the day. So I said, I know you're tired. I know it's been a long day of PowerPoints and talks and you know, conference food. Um, well, what I want you to do, why don't you stand up? Take a stretch. You've earned it. All right. Get it out. Now, everybody, let's, let's start to clap. And I had, I had set about four or five people in the audience ahead of time to ask them to stand up and clap. And so I had the whole room is up and clapping and I just sprinted into the stage and there I am at the front of the stage. Every eye is on me. That's an attention step. 
it's having a, adding a little bit of creativity. You don't have to be that off the reservation. You don't have to be, even take that much time. But if you think about your audience and put yourself in, the, in those shoes and think, what are they here for? Why do they want to listen to me? What's going to get them to really pay attention? What's different? What can I do differently that is a pattern interrupt for where they are right now? That's the attention step. And then, you know, the thing about any kind of talk, there have been papers on this or articles or something. You get people in the beginning and you get people at the end and in the middle, they always start to wane. And so if you have a message to share that's one thing, all you got to do is make sure you have it, boom, right up front and boom, right at the end. And everything in the middle, if you make people feel great at the beginning and make them feel great at the end, it doesn't really even matter what you say. Hmm. All right. So let's take that. So many of us are living in this online marketing space. Sure. So it all makes sense how to do this while talking to real life people in real life. Now imagine you're doing it through social media, through email, through well, every other virtual avenue. How do you do that? It's the same, remember before I said this is, it's foundational stuff. It's foundational stuff. It's the same concept. It's a different application of it, but it's the same concept. What's that pattern interrupt? What are the things that your audience is seeing all the time? And don't be like that and switch it up. You know, another thing that always stands out and, and I help my clients with this a lot is be you, be more conversa conversational in all of your writing. Because these days, you know, you hear it a lot. The, the, word, the word du jour is authenticity. You know, but really what authenticity is, is just being the real you. And so be the real you. I heard somebody the other day, I, I met an, another entrepreneur and she was talking about uh, the emails that she sends out and how she gets this unbelievable response. And she, she likens or, or the reason why she's getting this response, she believes, is she writes like she's writing to one person. She writes to her best friend from home. And that's who she writes to. And her stories are unbelievable. But she writes to this person and her audience responds to that. They feel like she's writing to them. So use your own voice. That's always a great way because you're, you have your voice. No one else has your voice. No one else has your style. No one else has your expertise. No one else has the experiences that you have that have made you who you are today. Human design, human design aside. No matter what, I mean, you're, I'm 100% behind what you're saying. I really, truly believe that we are all unique beings with unique. So that's what I call your awesome. Your awesome is that spark in you that is supposed to shine. It's here for you to share it with the world. And the thing that I think so many people don't recognize is no matter what that awesome is, it's awesome. Yes. And there are people out there that will, that will respond to it. Your awesome will resonate with the people that think it's awesome. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's all that matters. That's all that matters. Yeah. Yeah. Part of that is that 
embrace, I call it embracing the fact that you're not for everyone. Yeah, for sure. How for awesome sure. Is that? It is awesome. <laughs> it is awesome. That was a huge lesson for me. Oh my gosh. Early on, that was a huge lesson. I used to get, I'd have visceral reactions to unsubscribes. Be like, oh God. Oh, why? I made the mistake once of contacting someone on a different channel, asking them for feedback. Why did you unsubscribe? And they're like, leave me alone. <laughs> like, oh my God. <laughs> what did I do? Oh. I think it's, yeah, I had a trouble with it too. Not, um, not from a place of like people pleasing, but just like everyone needs to hear this. I want everyone to hear it. I love everyone. Why don't they love me back? Like, it's just this, like, you know, the puppy in me. Yeah. Just wants to be loved. (laughs) Okay. Now you're calling yourself not the messaging expert, not the, it was sometimes you said you call yourself the messaging messaging advisor. Not the, not the advisor. So I would never say the advisor, but I call myself an advisor, you know, a a messaging and positioning advisor. That's all right. Let's talk about words because I love words. Sure. And I I would never, I would never call myself an expert. I don't think you, why not? You can't call, I don't believe you can call yourself an expert. I think it's, it's, it's too chest beady for the world these days. And I think you repel more people than you attract that way. You can show that you're an expert. Other people can call you an expert. If I got on this, this podcast and you introduced me as Zach Messler, the messaging expert, that's fine. I'm not going to call my th- myself that ever. I agree with you so much, especially I also add to it. Like, I don't know. I'm never going to call myself a, an expert, for instance, on you, Zach, because I don't know. I'm not in you. Sure. I don't know what's going on in your head. That's not my job. The only thing I'm an expert on is me. And really, I don't feel like I'm qualified in that either. I've just been in this body for my whole time on this, this round of birth school. And well, the other thing about being, being the expert of you not you, Kelsey, you in general, no one cares about you. Exactly. <laughs> they don't care. Nobody cares about you. They care about themselves. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the biggest thing when it comes to messaging. One of the biggest mistakes that I see people make is they focus in on their own stuff. And you think about, this goes back to the foundations of product marketing and product messaging. When you're doing product messaging, it's really a, a misnomer. It's aud- it should be audience marketing and audience messaging. But when you're doing product messaging, there are really, it starts with two core types of messages. There's why change and why us. Because if, if someone is not yet seeing a reason to make a change, they're not going to be interested in your solution or your, your offering that addresses it and helps them make that change. And the, the people that aren't ready to hear your message, why you, you lost them. If, if, you're, if you're given a why us message to someone who needs a why change message, you've lost them forever because you're annoying. And yeah. likewise, likewise, it's the same thing. If someone already is, is, they're ready to make a change, but you're giving them a why change message and they want to hear all about you, you've lost them. They're gone. Because I, I'm be, they, they feel almost superior. I'm beyond you. I don't need to hear this. I'm, 
So being in tune to your audience is one of the key tenets of great messaging. How do you do that online? You just know your audience. You know your audience. And then you, you, then you get into the, the tactics of content marketing, of email marketing, of, of all that stuff. I mean, you, you listen to your audience. So it's creating different types of content. It's mapping out where your audience is. What's the path to purchase? This is all product marketing stuff. What's the path to purchase? How, how does a person go from unaware they have a problem to being a, uh, a raving fan of yours? What's that path? What's it look like? What's that journey look like? And then it's mapping out, okay, I, need, I have this many stages, and it could be different for anyone. I have a, I have a model I use that's six, but it doesn't have to be six. And it's creating content and creating messages for each area of that journey. Now, it sounds super technical, but once you get good at it, you start hearing things from your audience, you know how to respond. Oh, they're here. When you're talking about the, the change part of it, it took me back to when I first went gluten-free. And someone was like, wow, that was like a big change, huh? How'd you do that? I don't think I'd have the discipline to do that. And I was like, look, my asthma has gotten out of control. I've, I can't remember if I'd actually had the stress fractures by then. But basically, I was like, my asthma is out of control. I'm taking drugs I don't want to be taking. They're not working. And the doctor has told me there's nothing else to do. The doctor hasn't recommended that I go gluten-free. But I feel like my gut is telling me that. And before that place, if someone two years earlier had said go gluten-free, I would have been like, what? Why? Mm -hmm. You got to be ready. But if that, place, if that place two years before had said to you, have you tried this? Have you tried that? Uh, maybe you're experiencing this. Hey, here's some signs that you might need to make a change. Boom, 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 boom. You might have gone, huh. So what kind of change should I make? Oh, well, consider going gluten-free because if you go gluten-free, then ba ba ba. I just took you from a transition yes. between why change and why us. Yeah. All right. I get it. One of the things that works, and I keep going back to the well on this uh, all the time, is perhaps you recognize some signs of a problem. <laughs> you know, perhaps you recognize uh, areas that could improve. Perhaps you recognize what you want to do with any type of why change message is you want your audience to come to that conclusion on their own or feel like they're coming to that conclusion on their own. Oh, wow, I need to do this. If you tell people what they need to do, you're their mother and they're 16. I mean, <laughs> it's... There's a lot of messaging out there. I haven't, I've curated my social media feed, so I don't see it that much anymore. But I know in the coaching industry, there's a lot of thought of like, speak to their pain. And it's this really negative downer energy. It frankly makes me want to go away from that person forever. Yeah. So that's a, it's really old school and they don't feel people don't that are doing it. Don't think it's old school, but that's a problem solution framework. That's something, you know, in tech we were doing 
a lot of tech companies still do it, but that's something that we were doing, gosh, probably 10 years ago. It's changed and it's changed. This is getting into that rat hole I was talking about before. Everyone's a consumer. It's changed because of your phone. Uh, but you know, when, when the iPhone came out, it made smartphones universal and now the buyer of anything is in control. I have, I have more information in my pocket about anything than you could ever take the time to tell me. And so what's happened with that is I'm less reliant on you or anyone else for information. And I trust me more than I trust you. And so I have to come to, to the conclusion that I need something on my own. And when you do problem, problem solution framework right now, the pain, hit the pain. What, what you're doing is people largely recognize that now as a sales tactic and they, they're turned off. It's gross. You feel slimy. Mm-hmm. What that's missing is there's one thing that's missing and you can still do problem solution, but it's missing one thing. Uh, I talk about this a lot. It's context. The, the new formula that works is context problem solution and context and problem are kind of intertwined. But context is that perspective of your audience, which you cannot make up. You can't just try and come up with, a, with context of what someone might be feeling. That's something where you got to do your research. You have to understand your client. You have to, to almost become your client and walk around in those shoes. That's the context is when we were talking before about gluten-free and, and why two years ago what they might have said, which could have caused you to make the move sooner, the context was, was there. That, that was the context. Hey, have you, you know, maybe, maybe this has happened to you. Or picture this. I use picture this a lot in, in content. Picture this or sales copy picture this, you're blah, 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 blah. Because now all of a sudden, instead of me saying to you, you're this, I'm, I'm t- telling you a story and you're picturing it in your head. And by saying picture this, all of a sudden, it's, it's almost like a movie. It's, and you're seeing yourself, but you're in a movie. It's not really you. And that's, it makes a huge, huge difference. Then that person is coming to conclusions on their own and they want to be in the movie. Makes sense. Yeah, everyone wants to be in the movie. I want to switch directions for a bit. We're going to take a little pivot. Maybe it's a more of a launch. What's the scariest thing you've ever done? Scariest thing. Well, saying singing on stage in front of five or six hundred people probably is too much of a cop out. What's the scariest thing I've ever done? Yeah, you know what? I think the scariest thing I've ever done was, it's kind of similar vein. I was super shy as a kid. I was really geeky. I was not comfortable in my own skin. And I got dared to try out my senior year of high school for a one-act play. Um, they, there was a one act play competition, freshman, oh, you know, freshman through senior. I was a senior. I, and I was dared and then I was double dog dared and like, well, I got to do this. And I was terrified. I was terrified. The thought of getting up in front of, of an audience and having to speak. I mean, I got up in front of people and would play 
you know, when I, when I played xylophone, you know, wind ensemble, you'd get up in front of, of people and play, we do tours and everything, but it was different because there was, there was this wall and this bubble and I was in the back row. Nobody could really see me and I'd still get nervous for that tryout. I, uh, I was terrified. I almost didn't do it. And then I did it and I got a role and I was even more terrified. And then I went on stage for the first show and it was like, wow, this is unbelievable. And all of my fear, all of my nerves turned into energy. And then it was like, oh, wow. Now I don't really get too scared. I get, I get worked up before an event, before I'm speaking, but I don't, I don't get scared anymore. I get, it's like positive nervousness. Mm-hmm. It's like, I, I want to be good. I'm excited. And then I get on stage and man, I mean, I, I get excitable on podcast interviews like this, but, but this is nothing. I like, man, I love it. It's fun. What got you through when you were terrified and almost didn't do it? What got you to do it? I was dared. I was dared by a friend and I really didn't want to, to, be told that I couldn't do it. Did so, this friend um, audition as well? No. <laughs> no. Are you still friends with this friend? No, not really. I mean, it was, you know, it was, I, I don't even, I got to tell you, I don't even remember who it was that, that dared me. I don't remember. But it sounds like they pretty much changed your life. Oh yeah, for sure. For sure. Absolutely. Yeah, I did, uh, I did shows in, in college. I did some I did some musical theater in college. Uh, I was in a band. I fronted a band for a little while. That was fun. Uh, yeah, I do. I do. An, I get. I get that out of my system now. I do public address announcing. I don't know if I told you. I don't think we talked about this. I do public address announcing uh, at University of Maryland for women's volleyball, and it's awesome because yeah the the assistant coach, I've been doing it for 18 years. It's been a long time. And I, I always thank the assistant coach that hired me to do it because she set me up for success. And really it's the reason why I will always do volleyball and I will, you know, I will do this until they don't want me anymore. The job of a public address announcer is to inform the crowd in pretty much any sport. Now batting number five, Kelsey Abbott, you know, okay. The job of the volleyball announcer is to incite the crowd. So it's, it's like all sorts of fun calls and you, you have to be a little creative and it's getting people worked up. That is the job. So for example, volleyball is best of five sets. And if it's going five sets, the fifth set is always really tense because it's only up to 15. Usually it's up to 25. Fifth set is up to 15. They switch sides after they get to eight. So everyone gets equal play on sides and everything. But if you're going to the fifth set, you definitely want your home crowd around you. So what I, what I started doing this year was if we go to a fifth set, I just stand up and I address the crowd and I say something like, they, I, you know, I have something scripted, which I never really look at. I probably should. <laughs> but, but I stand up and I essentially say, we are in the fifth set. Your team needs you. 
Terrapin Nation, your team needs you. Everybody stand up. Let's go. Let's make some noise. Let me get everybody going. It's awesome. It's super fun. That's I good. Never, I got chills with that. I never I want to root for that. Terrapin Nation. Yay. <laughs> I never would have done that. I never, ever, ever in a million years. I would have been terrified to get on a mic in front of, you know, it's matches are probably 15, 1,600 people. I, I never would have done that before. How did you get that gig? Luck. <laughs> oh, this is a whole other conversation too. This is another pivot talking about luck. I wanted to do voiceovers. So I hired a voiceover coach. This is way back. I hired a voiceover coach. I started um, recording stuff and you know, my, my friends knew what I was, do I was doing this. One of my wife's friends was in the grad school of communications at University of Maryland. The baseball team needed an announcer. They had an old school coach and he had students doing announcing and the students were doing like old time Chicago Bulls announcing, which is, you know, now batting. And this guy <laughs> is like, you know, tobacco in his cheek, play country music, you know, you know, apple pie, hot dogs, baseball type of guy. And so they had a tree said, you got to hire somebody, pay them. I don't want any of this student crap anymore. So they had open tryouts for, for baseball. They sent that open tryout to the school of communications emails. My wife's friend sent it to my wife who sent it to me, you know, told me about it. And so I, I'm doing this. It was, I remember it was the beginning of February and it was snowing. And I was the only one to show up <laughs> and I tried out and I got offered it on the spot. The, the, uh, the marketing director guy at the time said, said, well, nobody else is here. So you want the job? <laughs> I said, yes. <laughs> so early, back then my, I had two rules and they were always be on time and never say no. And so it was probably game two or game three that volleyball coach I was telling you about before came to a match or came to a game and said, Hey, you want to be the public address announcer for volleyball? We really need somebody. And I said to her, I don't really know anything about volleyball. She said, that's okay. We'll teach you. And I said, yes. And so I did volleyball. Um, I've done everything pretty much except football and men's basketball. Although I, I tried out for men's basketball. Uh, basketball at Maryland's a, a really big deal. And I got invited to a, a tryout once when they, they had a, a new coach and they wanted a new announcer. And they invited six people. And I was one of them. It was kind of cool. Didn't get it, but kind of glad because then I would have had to give up volleyball and I don't want to do that. There you go. It wasn't supposed to happen. Exactly. What's interesting too is something I didn't tell you about your human design is being a projector. Cause this part is a little complicated. You're supposed to wait for the invitation. And that doesn't mean just sitting on your couch waiting for someone to call, but it does sound like in this situation, you were invited to try out for the, the baseball gig. And there you go. That's how you flow. That's wild. So that's you wild. are. That's wild. <laughs> that's wild. Um, all right. 
to another pivot. If you had a billboard messaging guy, what would you put on it? Boom shakalaka. Why? Hashtag boom shakalaka. Um, because of a few things. One, it's, it's my favorite word. I spell it kind of weird. It's my favorite word. How to do you me, spell it? it? Oh, I didn't wear my boom shakalaka shirt, so I can't show you. Uh, just phonetically. So boom, S-H-O-C-K-A-L-O-C-K-A, boom shakalaka. Uh, I've always spelled it that way. My brother, my brother and I used to say it all the time, probably thanks to growing up around NBA Jam video game. Boom shakalaka. So boom shakalaka to me is excitement. It's celebration. It's fun. It's recognition. It's all of these things. And so I, um, I used to say it all the time when I had a team in corporate. I had a, my last team that I had was really young. And I'd drop these 80s and 90s references and nobody would get them. And I felt really old. But boom shakalaka was the one that really stuck. And I used it all the time. If somebody did something great, it was boom shakalaka. All right, way to go. And so someone on my team dared me to write an article. I was writing all these articles on LinkedIn. Dared me to write an article about boom shakalaka. Because, you know, in corporate land, that's boom shakalaka. So I did. And then she dared me, this, is, this woman is I mean, wise beyond her year. She was like a year or two out of college, just really smart. And she said, well, I dare you to pop it in your, your LinkedIn profile. Okay. Same thing, I'm being dared. I'm being dared. Yeah, I'm being you, invited to do this. You're calling it a dare. I'm thinking it might be an invitation. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty funny. So I, so I, so I did. It's still there. I mean, I, I say at this company, I bring the boom shakalaka to marketing. What's that mean? Well, it's blah, 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 blah. And then the natural progression of it was, I'm just going to start using it as a hashtag. And I did. And now if you go to LinkedIn and search, and to a lesser extent, Twitter, um, and search hashtag boom shakalaka, the way that I spell it, you find all my stuff. And uh, it's pretty awesome. What's happened is in... Um, really in, in a few different channels, I'll get people sending me stuff. Like they'll see things like I thought of you and it, they send me a picture of Ben and Jerry's boom chocolata or, <laughs> or boom chicka pop or, you know, so that's kind of cool. So I, I would do hashtag boom chocolata. Being in your energy, it feels like you are fueled by boom chocolata. I am. I'm fueled by people. I, I, you know, yesterday I told you this before when we were chatting, I, I did another podcast recording, a guest recording yesterday, and I didn't want to do it. I was just like, I was so wrong words, not meaning what it's going to sound like, but I was just so strung out, you know, I was just so, I was tired. I just, I needed that rest mm -hmm. and I didn't take it. I was just like, oh, and I have to get on this podcast. And it was 530. And I just didn't want to do it. And I get on and I see the host and we start talking and I'm just lit up. I just get lit up. It was great. So it's, it's uh, boom shakalaka definitely is, is, uh, brings energy for me, but just being around people and talking to people and connecting with people is a great thing for me. It's I, why I love what I do. Explain that more. Um, right now, I'm working largely as an advisor. 
I'm working largely with one-on-one -on -one with clients. And so the way that my business works, I have a, a, an offering called the sounding board. And the sounding board is just that. It's a sounding board. So what it means is we have, uh, you have, if you have a question about messaging, positioning, marketing, you ask a question, you get an answer within 24 hours. And then twice a month or more if you want, uh, we get on a Zoom session for an hour and we talk through things, we work through things, we create things, we collaborate on things. You know, anything from high level content plan, marketing strategy, social media strategy, into deep in the weeds of, hey, let's write a blog post together, or uh, I need to write this sales page, can we write it together? Or, hey, let's dive in and do some audience research for an hour, I'll teach you some tips and how to do certain things. So it's, it's purposefully no structure. I mean, it, I do have structure. Um, often, uh, you know, I work, with, I work with entrepreneurs, both early solopreneurs, advanced solopreneurs, and small businesses. And so, uh, and I've segmented my audience that way because they have very different needs depending on where they are. And so for, um, I don't even know how I got into this, but for an early stage solopreneur who's not sure even where to go, not sure what she or he needs help with, we walk through, we start with messaging and positioning. And so I have this, I go through that method we were talking about before, and we walk through first finding clarity. So what it is, what it does, why it matters, how to be more compelling in your messaging, in your content, in your, your positioning, and then how to be more convincing, how to you know, motivate people to take action. And so we walk, walk through that. For people who are more advanced, it's, it's purposefully without structure. So if they need help with something specific, hey, I'm doing a product launch, um, I really need help with this sales page, it's not jiving, then we work on the sales page. Or, hey, I hired somebody to write, I get this one a lot. I hired somebody to write this sales page for me and I hate it. It doesn't sound like me and it's too salesy and I know I paid a lot of money, but I'm not going to use it. Can we fix it? Can we fix it? You know, or then the small business that has employees, there's a, there's a marketer there and almost always, and this is almost always, I'm going to be able to help that marketer up level because a small business is not hiring someone with 20 years experience. They're hiring someone with two or three years experience, maybe five max. And so I've done that and I can help them. And so that becomes more product marketing and teaching and, and coaching in an advisory sense. So I'm just hearing in my head, who are you going to call the messaging, messaging guy? It doesn't totally work, but <laughs> at all. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Um, all right. How can people, where do, where do people find you? LinkedIn, obviously. LinkedIn, um, ZachMessler.com, uh, Zach at ZachMessler.com. I did start a new Facebook group. It's not that new anymore. A few months ago called The Killer Message. And that is also, I mean, it's meant for entrepreneurs, small businesses, coaches. Uh, that's at TheKillerMessage.com. Answer three questions and you're in. They're easy questions, but I, I pop that there. It's amazing how many people see up front, answer these questions and you're in. Don't answer these questions and you're not. 
and they don't answer the questions. They're not that hard. It's like, what's your business? What, what's your biggest challenge with messaging? What do you want to get out of this group? That's it. So thekillermessage.com. And I'm in there all, I'm in the killer message all the time. I share a lot of stuff on LinkedIn um, and on my blog, but in the killer message, I go a little deeper. Amazing. Is there anything else we didn't talk about that we should have talked about? You wanted to talk about coaching. I did. All right. So let's. So let's here's that soft, here you go. That. Softball. Here you go. Coaching. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> and so we, yeah, you talked about how you're the messaging guy. Then you're a messaging advisor. But you said you never use the word coach. And I love yeah. your answer. So will you share it? Yeah, sure. I'm not a coach. I'm not a coach. I'm not certified as a coach. And a coach to me, especially in the online world, a coach is something very specific. And it denotes when you say you're a coach, it denotes that you have training. It denotes that perhaps you're certified and you have studied to become a coach. So I can do coaching, but I will not call myself a coach. Now, if you go to my LinkedIn, you, I think you'll probably see coach up there, but it's like the third or fourth thing and it's the only place you'll ever see it. And that's really more for search for me than anything else. But I'm not a coach, I'm an advisor. Yeah, and I think that's really important for people that are listening who aren't coaches for people to understand coaching is a profession. Absolutely. It's a discipline. Yeah. You train, you get certified. There is actual, there's ethics, there's methods, there are skills involved. And a coach never tells you what to do. We're talking an athletic coach. Will that's totally different. But when we're talking about a professional coach, they're never going to tell you what to do. That's where an advisor will tell you what to do. That's true. A consultant or a, will tell you what to do. A mentor will tell you what they did. The therapist isn't likely to tell you what to do. They might, but a coach isn't going to. They're going to ask you questions to help you figure out what to do. It's kind of interesting because you're talking before, before when you, you start talking about a coach and everybody everybody thinks everybody thinks they're a coach or it reminds me of being a marketer everybody is a marketer and you learn this early on when you are a marketer you learn this early on marketing is a discipline it is it is skill driven and it is absolutely maybe talent driven to a certain extent it is absolutely a discipline and not everybody is a marketer and it is the same thing with coaching. Not everybody is a coach. They may call themselves a coach, but not everybody is a coach. Yeah. I found the same thing in writing. When I was a freelance writer, I'm getting paid for my work. I'm, I'm using skills and all these tools that I've learned, all this experience I have, I'm getting paid. And then every once in a while, someone said, they're like, I'm a writer. And then because of those people saying that they're writers and not getting paid for their work, then people would try to quote unquote hire me for zero dollars. That doesn't work. Yeah. Doesn't work. Yeah. Uh, well, we could go down that uh, pivot here too and talk about pricing. I mean, it's, I, uh, this was another hard lesson to learn as an entrepreneur, but I don't discount. I, I have my price. That's my price. And what I've learned is I have to have more offers. And so I do. 
So I have to have different levels of offers. So if people aren't able to afford a certain, a certain level, then there's something for them. But early on, early on, I was doing content creation work and I got out of that, burned out on that. But early on, I would face that all the time where it's, they'd say, you're this, well, I can get it done for this. And it took a while to, to feel good and learn, learn how and feel comfortable saying, well, go do it then. Mm-hmm. This is what this costs. I absolutely know that I can make you happy with this. I know that this will meet your need, exceed your expectations, and be probably one of the best things you've ever posted or ever, ever come, you know, done. I, I feel confident in that. If price is an issue for you, go, go hire someone else. I can give you names of people. If, if this is too expensive, I have people I can send you to. Right. And more often than not, people ask for a lower price, not because they need a lower price, but because they think it's their job to ask for a lower price. Which is so interesting because when Americans go to, for instance, Italy and are shopping in the piazzas, they do not bargain. And that is how it's actually set up. Crazy. (laughs) But with online entrepreneurs, they feel like they can. Yeah, it's crazy. Humans are funny. Well, maybe we just all need Italian accents and then (laughs) (laughs) we'd sound a lot cooler. We would. My Italian (laughs) is super rusty now too. (laughs) My Italian is like South Philly. It's not. <laughs> <laughs> it's a special, special, special Yo. Italian. <laughs> Zach, this has been a blast. Thank you so much. Yeah, likewise. Well, thanks for having me on, Kelsey. I appreciate it. Super fun. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to continue the conversation, please head over to Facebook and join the group Find Your Awesome with Kelsey Abbott. It's free. And if you want more than that, go to my website, kelseyabbott.com. And there you can sign up for my newsletter and get a series of free guided meditations. And I would really appreciate it if you could head over to the podcast app and leave a review of the Find Your Awesome podcast. Your reviews help other people learn about this podcast. Thank you so much. That's all I've got for you, friends. Go forth and be awesome.